welcome back to the afternoon session. I'll have to make a confession. I've been enjoying this so much, sitting back there in the back, taking notes and soaking it up, that it actually got to the point this morning that I, I, I started feeling guilty. And the thought came to me, you better get out the checkbook and write out for your tuition quickly. <laughs> uh, because I feel like a student here. And... Uh, Every now and then it seems like the afternoon comes along and I get snapped into a reality that i got to go up there and talk. But trust me, I would rather just keep on taking notes. Um, uh, did you notice that all of the topics that I was given end up in ship? A ship is a very large ocean-going vessel. Uh, just imagine if you went to a, a, a shipyard and you ask those men, as they're building this beautiful ship, what is the expected plan for this ship? You say, well, there really isn't one. We're just, we're just building this thing. It's going to sit right here. We're going to walk around it and enjoy it. And uh, marvel at its beautiful craftsmanship. Wouldn't you say, but I thought a ship was to sail on the high seas. It was to carry something to a destination. These things were meant to go out, not stay in here in the dry dock. And that's kind of how I feel that, that my messages, uh, the message that, that the brethren assigned to me and that the Lord has been speaking to me, we, these are messages I trust that can, can take us out. And uh, I mentioned yesterday, maybe even to some dangerous territory. But the heart of God for these messages is that it, is that we reach a destination. That's the goal. There is a destination. Let's pray before we get into this. Heavenly Father, we ask you to come and be in our presence again this afternoon. Father, thank you for the many abundant and rich blessings that we've been given already. Father, our cup is full and running over. But we just pray, Father, that your Spirit will continue to move among us. Father, just strengthen these weak knees and, uh, and this feeble tongue, Lord. Uh, bless us as we as we go through this message. Father, I feel a special burden because we're talking about citizens today. And Father, I know when it comes to talking about people that Satan is very interested in people too. And Father, I want to stump for uh, for men and women everywhere to leave his kingdom. And so I understand he attacks in those kind of situations and so we just bind, pray that you would bind him, Lord. And keep them away from this session this afternoon. And help us gain an understanding, Father, of what it's like to live in this new kingdom. Blessing and glory is honor to you. And honor is due to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3. We'll go there and uh, we'll read this chapter. I think what we're going to do... Now, it was written um, by one man, but, but I, I want... For men to read it, because as I see this chapter, um, and it just came to me, but it seems like there's at least four different distinct sections in this chapter. It might help us to break it up a little bit to have four different people read it, uh, as as if there's there is indeed transitions. I don't know how we want to do this, but, but uh, maybe we'll start at this back corner and just um, start uh, first of all. Ethan, if you would read, uh, we'll have you read a certain number of verses. We'll just move down the table. Um, but if you would read down, um, and I think we'll have you stop uh, with verse 6. So, 
3, 1 through 6. <coughs> Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the contingent. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, in Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning the field, first came the church, touching, right, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Thank you. Now, 7 through 11. For what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things a lost to the, excellen the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And now 12 through 19. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. <coughs> Brethren, I count not myself that apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you to leave you, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And now at the end of the verse, no chapter. Just at the end of the chapter. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I had thought that maybe we should start at the last verse and, and try to read backwards up through the, the chapter. That would, might have even brought this out more. But the first uh, section, uh, Paul is telling the Philippians, he's speaking of, of, of his previous citizenship and the things that were of value under his old citizenship. And then when we come into uh, verse 7, he says, but what things were gained to me? And suddenly there's a transition in his value system. Suddenly all of his values are different. Uh, coming into verse 12, he says, now don't get the impression that I've already attained. I'm not where I need to be yet. But I'm working, and I'm pressing, and this is where I'm going. This is where the ship is going. I know where I want to end up. And then finally, he says in verse 20, 
for our conversation is in heaven. Now, that's how the King James Version uh, renders that, but just about every other translation says, for our citizenship is in heaven. What does he say about that citizenship? For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we are looking for our salvation from the place of our citizenship. So he wasn't looking for salvation anywhere else other than the land that held his citizenship, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things uh, to himself. Now, understanding where your citizenship is and being able to boldly declare that my citizenship is in heaven is critical because your citizenship determines who your sovereign is. We kind of touched on some of these things yesterday. The laws that you are subject to and ultimately who you're going to defend, who you're willing to risk your life for is where your citizenship is held. So it's very critical that we understand where your citizenship is. Now, now the Christian has a very, very special challenge because he's called uh, to live in a foreign land in enemy territory and in submission to an earthly authority, all the while being absolutely loyal to the to a, to another king and to a, a greater kingdom. That's the challenge that he has. He's called to walk out his life in the kingdoms of the world that are completely opposed to the king that he serves. That's the Christian's challenge. Now, uh, when Jesus preached to the people, um, his message is focused uh, on the values of his kingdom. And so over and over in his messages, what he was saying was, is, this is how a citizen in my kingdom will be. And so he put, and he put value on it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he would say. Now that, he was talking about the, a characteristic of a citizen. Now when people listen to him preach, they would say things like, these are hard sayings. And it's because they had never heard it quite like that. They understood the law, but Jesus was going way beyond the law. And they said, these are hard sayings. But Jesus said, no, it's the will of my Father. So he was teaching these, these extreme values of the kingdom. Now, the first thing I want to do today is talk about the process of becoming a citizen in the, in the new kingdom. And the reason I want to start there is because... <clears throat> It is so misunderstood in Christianity today. And so I'd like to, I'd like to establish uh, a little bit of that. Um, first of all, just imagine with me that, that one day there's a knock at your door, and, uh, and you open the door, and there are a couple of, uh, well, where I work they would call them migranos. And uh, the local joke is where I work that when I drive our big van, none of the patients come in because... They think the migrants have come. And, uh, anyway, uh, the immigration officials uh, are there. They say, we're just here to ascertain whether you are a real citizen of the United States. Now, my mind would immediately start going to a few documents that I have stashed away that I never look at. I would, I would, I would go into my bedroom and, and pull out this little box and I would get my passport and I'd get my birth certificate and I'd get my driver's license and anything else that showed that I was a citizen, and I would hope that it would satisfy them. But um, what it 
said, you know, we just need better proof than that. Because so many people are faking their citizenship these days. We need, to, we need to ask you a few questions. Just about everybody that I work with has a green card. But when we ask them about services that might be available to them, it always comes out, well, they, they're not citizens. They're not entitled to those rights. But they do have a green card. And for all intents and purposes, they convince folks that they are citizens when they are not. But what if they said this? What if they said, we've got these questions. Let's just ask you these questions. Do you fully support the Constitution of the United States? Do you, to the best of your ability, abide by the laws of this land? Have you ever given allegiance to any other sovereign? Are you willing to defend this nation against its enemies? Are you willing to do works of national benefit? Do you spend more time in this nation than in any other nation? Finally, they might say, have you ever mistreated a U.S. citizen? You see, being a citizen is so much more than just having the right documents. And I probably would have to admit I guess I'm not. I'm probably not a U.S. citizen. And they would have every right to say, well, you have no business living in this nation if you cannot answer those questions. You'll have to be deported. You'll have to leave. Jesus tells us that, um, that many people um, are going to fail the citizenship test. We kind of talked about that yesterday. That many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Thy name cast out devils. Thy name done many wonderful works. And then Jesus says, I'm going to tell them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew. These were people that were actually going about what they felt was the work of the kingdom. They thought they were citizens. The problem was, is the king didn't know them. And he says, depart from me. These, these men um, are, are being fooled, apparently. These, these men so-called Christians were fooled. Now just imagine how this could be. Suppose that you're a Mexican or a Canadian citizen and you decide you're going to go to the United States. And so you, you come across the border, you, you sneak across, and uh, the, the first person that you come to says, Hey, little good sir, I've got good news to tell you. Did you realize that all you need to do is repent that you were born in Canada or Mexico and declare that you never want to go back and you're a U.S. citizen. And I suppose there would be a lot of elation. You didn't know it could be that easy. And so you live all your life in the United States believing you're a U.S. citizen and the day finally comes when you're going to cash in and you go to the Social Security office to start claiming the benefits. And they said, there's no record of you. You aren't a citizen. You were duped. You were not told the whole story. You know, it would be shocking, and, and I think that it would be just about as shocking as, as leading Branson, Missouri, um, and thinking that um, you were um, headed to, um, or leaving Chicago Midway and headed to Branson and, and Missouri and ending up at this uh, Taney County uh, Airport. Uh, about a month ago, I don't know if you saw that, but it was, it was just, just so interesting. 
Southwest, uh, it was actually flight 4013, took off from Chicago, and they were going to Branson. And the flight was just wonderful. All these people were going to Branson. And they, they got there, and began their descent, and, and everything had gone fine, and landed. And the report said that, that they did get pretty heavy on the brakes pretty quick, and there was a, a smell of burning rubber and a few things. And the stewardess came on, and she says, on behalf of Southwest Airlines, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Branson, Missouri. And just a few minutes later, the captain comes on and says, Folks, I, I'm sorry to tell you, we landed at the wrong airport. Now, they were only 10 miles away from Branson. And it was a little county airport that was, had a runway half the size of what they were supposed to land on. But they were not at Branson. And it was shocking. Now they, they, they believed in their minds that that's where they were going. And they were taken to a place that was, that was not the destination by men who should have known better. Many, many Christians are going to experience the same thing, or so-called citizens. So I want to look at several things today. First, I want to look at the process of naturalization. I'm going to just talk about the process of naturalization from a completely uh, carnal United States perspective, because I, I find it interesting. Then I want to look at becoming citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, talk a little bit about ambassador citizens in a foreign land, marks of citizenship, and then maybe a little citizenship quiz um, towards the end. Now, as a, as a general rule, a man becomes a citizen of a nation by birth or naturalization. Birth or naturalization. This nation, uh, e pluribus unum, is on the, the great seal of the United States. Out of many, one. And the idea is that this is a land of immigrants. So people have come here from, from all over the world to make this their nation. Um, and those people, though, were not born here. They were naturalized. That's where many of, of, of our ancestors did the same thing. They decided at some point that they were going to leave their, their citizenship, their mother nation, and they were coming here. Um, and in order to do that, they had to, they had to give up. They had to give up everything. Their former citizenship, uh, all their former relationships, probably their goods and their lands and everything to come here. And they had to renounce where they came from. Um, now, naturalization, I think, is a very, very good illustration of how Jesus planned uh, on people entering the new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven doesn't have a birth option as it is in the United States. So, for instance, anywhere in the world, pretty much, if you are born on that territory, they claim you as a citizen. Uh, the kingdom of heaven doesn't have one like that. And so a child born to U.S. citizen parents becomes a citizen without any choice of his own. He swears no allegiance, he has no knowledge of the land that he's a part of, he has no appreciation for it, and he offers absolutely nothing in return. That's how most babies are born in this nation. They come into this nation offering nothing. But naturalization is very different than that. First of all, in order to be naturalized into this nation, you have to be 18 years of age. You can't even start the process until you're 18. Um, I think for good reasons. In other words, it is not a light decision. And they believe that an adult needs to make this decision. And, and we'll show you why. Page one of the application to join the, um, the United States of America says this. Um, says, um, well, we're very pleased that you want to become a U.S. citizen. The United States is a nation of immigrants throughout our history. Anyway, if you decide to apply for 
for naturalization, you will be showing your permanent commitment to the United States. You will also be showing your loyalty to its constitution and its people. Page one of the application. It is a very serious decision. It's a permanent commitment to its people and its constitution. And so, in other words, you've got to make a decision to become a citizen of this nation through naturalization. And it's a very solemn, permanent commitment. The second step of naturalization is, begin to living, is to begin living in the United States as a resident. Now, I know a lot of people that are in this process right now. You have to begin living here. You can't just show up and say, well, I'd like to be a citizen, they're going to take you in. It takes at least five years for most people. You've got to be living in the United States for about five years. And several things are happening during that five years. Um, you might ask why they do that. First of all, they want to, the United States wants to observe your life. They want to know what kind of a person you're going to be if they take you in as a citizen. And so, for instance, they're, they're, they're watching your legal um, record. I don't know if you knew this, but Obama, the uncle of Obama, lived here for 50 years without a green card and recently uh, came out. And uh, one of the things that... Um, he's going to get to say, by the way, in case you were wondering. Um, <laughs> but um, one of the things that had happened was he got arrested for, for drunken driving one time. Like 30 years ago. But it was on record, and it came up. And um, the reason he gets to stay is because he did not demonstrate a, a continual problem with alcohol. And so they said he was, he was okay. They didn't deport him. But they want to know, the nation wants to know if you're a good citizen. The, the issue is this. If you are granted citizenship in the United States, you become a representative sample of the United States. And so they're not interested in bringing in people as citizens that are going to defile the nation, bring shame upon it. <clears throat> the third step uh, in becoming a citizen is that of, a, of a, an interview, a very personal interview, and a very stiff interview. And I know a lot of people that are preparing for this interview now. But it's, it's, it's a, basically your record is reviewed, your entire time in the United States is reviewed, your work history, any jail time, any illegal activities. But there's a, a couple of things. You have to be able to speak and read the English language and understand it. And there's also 100 questions about civics that you have to be prepared to answer. Now, you don't have to answer all 100 of them, but they can pick from any of those 100. You have to be able to understand and you have to be able to explain your relationship to the Constitution. Why the Constitution of the United States is important to you. You have to be prepared to, to say that. And give a, give a, give a uh, uh, testimony of your uh, life. Um, there's a, here's a list of things that people can read that will keep them from becoming um, or being successful in this interview. Any crime against the government. Any intention to harm another person. Two or more crimes in five years. Violating any controlled substance law. Habitual drunkenness. That's how Mr. Obama got to state. He didn't show habitual drunkenness. Illegal gambling, prostitution, polygamy, lying to gain immigration benefits, failure to pay court-ordered child support, confinement in jail more than 180 days, failure to complete any probation, parole, or suspended sentence, terrorist acts, persecution of anyone.
because of race, religion, national origin, political opinion, or social group. Those are the things that a person is evaluated on before they are allowed to go to the fourth and the final step. The fourth step of naturalization is a solemn ceremony. After, if you pass the interview, there's a ceremony that happens next. And um, this is a, it's a data set, and you're expected to appear. But it's very interesting in the documents how they say that you should appear. They recommend, you know if you miss that appointment, they have the right to, to just completely write you off. That you can't be a citizen just for not showing up. So they say, show up at least 30 minutes early. And they also say, no flip-flops, no tank tops, and no shorts. So you're expected to show up for this ceremony in the best thing that you've got in your wardrobe. And the reason is because you're making a solemn, solemn commitment. And they want you to take it seriously. And, and furthermore, the oath is to be memorized. You're supposed to be able to say this one without having to take any notes. I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom uh, or which I have heretofore been a subject or a citizen. That I will support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, that I will perform non-combatant services in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I will take this obligation, and that I take this obligation freely, without any mental reser reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. And when that is done, they are declared a citizen of the United States. But they're not a citizen. A citizen isn't just a document. It's not even just an oath. A citizen is a citizen by being a citizen. He has to leave that interview and go out and be a citizen. He can be deported still after that. There were uh, uh, four Romanian women, actually, in, uh, in Boise, that are just about ready to get deported back to Romania. You know what they did? They married American men so that they could gain citizenship. They didn't do it even legally. But they're bona fide citizens. They took the oath, but they're headed back to Romania. A citizen is a citizen because of his life, the way he lives. Okay, well, um, let's, uh, let's move on here. Life for a naturalized person is quite different. He's had to leave his birth country, renounce all former allegiances uh, to the nation that he was born in. To, he's had to change his language, his culture. He's had to embrace a different set of values and principles. He puts himself under a whole new set of laws and under a, a, a brand new camp. Everything is different for a naturalized person. Now, becoming a citizen in the kingdom uh, of Jesus is really not that different. Let's first of all ask, who claims you, first of all, as a citizen? Well, the person that's going to claim you, naturally speaking, as a citizen, are the people upon whose soil you were born. Now, we know who claims the earth. We know he's a traitor. He actually doesn't own it, nor can he give it away like we talked about yesterday. But Satan claims this as his territory. You were born on something that he claims for his own. 
And furthermore, He expects for you to be loyal to your true nature that came with you when you were born here. He expects you to abide by His laws of disobedience and engage in His purpose, which is the violation of God. That's what He expects. He, the, the nature of revolt. He expects you to be true to that nature of revolt. And He wants your loyalty and service and worship. Um, the, the decision, as is, is all of us, I think, here have experienced, there was a definite time when we decided that we could no longer be a citizen of His kingdom. And we were willing for absolutely everything to change. Um, you know, as Jesus was reasoning with Nicodemus, he says, ye must be born again. Now, now, in Nicodemus, Nicodemus didn't get to see this wonderful dissertation on Acts. He didn't, he didn't hear that part. And so, it, I, I don't feel, uh, I don't feel too bad about Nicodemus and the struggles that he had about being born again. But on this side of the cross, it should make perfect sense to us, because now we understand that everything has to change, like being born brand new again. Uh, everything changes. Turn your Bibles to Luke 14 because, because I want to just to, to point out some declarative statements of Jesus. Now why, the question was asked earlier today, why is it that people are so offended by this? Why do they want to stomp it out? Well, it's because, because Jesus draws lines in the sand and he, he makes declarative statements that, that incriminate people. Three times in here, he says, you cannot be my disciple. He, very specifically, you cannot be my citizen in my kingdom. And that's, those, are, those are harsh words. Let's begin looking. Well, you know, there was, a, there was a man who made a great supper, and he went out, and he started inviting people to come. But the people had various excuses. And Jesus says, begins uh, again, down in verse 26, if any man will come to me, and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brethren and sisters. Yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. The next verse, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my citizen. Verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Very, very clear. We, we heard something of today, uh, earlier, I think, about speaking clearly. Well, Jesus could speak clearly. And uh, this is a very clear area that he spoke. Now, um, the apost uh, this, was, this is very consistent with what the United States asked of you also, if you're going to be a citizen of the U.S. Now, let's look. Uh, I want to um, go back to Philippians 3 and, uh, and look at the attitude that uh, Paul had. He says this, yea, in verse 8, well, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to stop there. Because we could say, it's just about an attitude. Just, just don't let money have an effect on you, or whatever it is. Just have, a, have the proper understanding in your head. Just believe that it's all but loss. But look what happened next. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Not only had he counted them but loss, but he lost them. All those things that he wrote about up here, they were gone. 
very, very consistent with what we're teaching about uh, needing to depart with everything. Paul tells us he's not a perfect citizen in those next few verses, but he tells us what he really wants and where he's really going. Um, you know, joining the kingdom of Jesus in any serious uh, side of the, of the kingdom is going to encounter an interview. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be stiff. And uh, interestingly enough, you don't have to have a perfect record to join the kingdom. Um, but you can't be a habitual drunk. You can't come into it planning on keeping on drinking. Um, but there's nothing that a person can have in their past that would keep them from being brought into this kingdom. Now, there's a few things that you don't have to do. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to have full knowledge. But you have to understand the decision that you're making in a citizenship uh, choice. That's why we, we think it's a great thing for an adult to do in their mind and in their heart. Um, now, the other thing is, the other people in the kingdom have a right to know where you're at. Because you're going to represent the kingdom. And so, uh, I find it fascinating. Uh, I think we have, a, we have a, a right to know whether this is a serious kingdom commitment or whether it's just an interest in, uh, in other things. You know, uh, the Christian church is suffering immensely. And this is one of the reasons, I think, is because I think many, many people are being brought into the kingdom because they want salvation, not particularly because they want to live a holy life. And actually, there's so many people in the kingdom that are just here for salvation that many leaders have actually stopped believing that people can actually be holy and they can live a holy life. And it's brought great shame on the kingdom. Jesus made declarative statements like, you can't be my disciple. Citizenship without sacrifice. Joining the kingdom also uh, includes a, a very solemn ceremony. And uh, it's just kind of fascinating. You know, as, uh, as if you want to join the United States, you can't go in the closet and whisper this oath and be a citizen. You can't do it. It's got to happen in your best clothes in front of witnesses. And the same is true with the kingdom of heaven. There is a point in time in your citizenship process where you've got to make a declarative statement in front of witnesses. Uh, I believe that about marriage, too, actually. I think you have to have witnesses. A couple that just whispers, I do, in each other's ears and goes on living like a couple is living in sin. That doesn't constitute marriage. Um, when, when a vow is made, there has to be witnesses. One of the chief witnesses, actually, that needs to be there when you make that declarative statement is the devil himself. Interestingly enough, he probably needs to hear it as much as anybody. Guess what? I renounce all former allegiances all former sovereigns, all former citizenships, he needs to do Publicly, he needs to Anyhow, um, so it's not the end of the road, though, for a Christian just to get the citizenship. It's just the beginning. Now he needs to go out and be a citizen. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, characteristics of a good citizen. So a good citizen just has one allegiance. Uh, and he's true to his sovereign. He feels an obligation to embrace the constitution of the kingdom that he's a part of. 
He, as a good citizen, respects the laws of his nation and brings himself into submission to them. A good citizen is willing to give his life for the furtherance and good of the nation. Pretty much any nation you're a citizen of is going to expect that you are willing to give your life to advance that, that nation. A good citizen respects his fellow citizens and, and represents the nation well to others. A good citizen faithfully represents the interests of his homeland, even when he is on foreign soil. Now, being a citizen has some special challenges. Uh, I, I mentioned this earlier, and I want to spend some time there. Um, it's the foreign land dilemma, or a kingdom within a kingdom by design. Now, you know, I, uh, I just kind of wish that, that Jesus' kingdom could have some geographical boundaries. He was the first king that I know of that actually came and set up a kingdom. It didn't have national boundaries. It didn't, it didn't have any chunk of land. Every other king has gone out, established a piece of land, and that's his kingdom. If he had that, we would all pack up our bags and we would be there. Maybe we'd be Jewish too, I don't know. But we would be in his kingdom, I think. But that's not, he told his, he told Pilate in his defense, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And actually the evidence of that is that if my, my citizens were of this world, then they would fight. But because they don't fight, that's plenty of evidence enough to you that my kingdom isn't here. We're not trying to overthrow you in the sense of taking your territory. And when he was talking to his father, he said these things. In, in uh, John 17, he says, They are not of this world. They are us. They're not of this world. Even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And so there, this is an interesting thing, but if you claim to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you are a sent citizen. All of his citizens are sent. They are sent into the world. He said, just like I was sent from heaven to earth, they are sent also. Sent citizens. That means every citizen in the kingdom of heaven is an ambassador. He's not at home. He is not allowed to live in the country that holds his citizenship. He's called to walk in a land that's not among uh, his own. He's among a renegade and hostile people. And this is born out of, this is the, the reason he's sent is born out of the whole mission of Christ, and that is the reconciliation of this hostile world back to him. Now I want to put this into um, into perspective a little bit. So the Christian is to boldly declare with his life and his citizenship that there is a better country, there is a better king, there is a better set of laws. Now let's try to imagine. Suppose, you know, after that knock, they say, well, since you're a U.S. citizen, we're going to send you to Iran. That's where you're going. You are now a U.S. ambassador to Iran. And you are to go into that country. And you are to declare with authority the blessedness of American democracy on the streets. You are to condemn the government. You are to tell them that Obama is the true king and they should leave Iran as quickly as they can and go to this new nation that has a better set of laws and is a better place to live. I think every one of us say, whoa! They don't like American democracy, nor do they like the president, nor do they like Americans, nor do they like anything about us. I don't want to go to that land. Now listen to what Jesus said. What did he say? He said something along these lines. 
He says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now that's an ambassador's nightmare. You're going to be hated of all nations for my sake? They're going to kill you? Yeah, it's like going to Iran and telling them, they need to, they need to start getting with the program. America's program. You know, um, considering that illustration, I, I, I hope you feel a little pain there. I want to show you one way that some people are dealing with that pain. Okay, this was from arguably a very liberal-thinking Mennonite uh, journal, the Mennonite Weekly Review, from the May issue, May 11th of 2009, had this statement. Listen to this very carefully. We decided that the division between the church and the world is not an unbridgeable chasm. We have become politically engaged, believing that Christians actually live in both kingdoms. Now let me just ask you this. So you're an ambassador for the United States and you're over there. And you begin getting involved in Iranian politics and buying Iranian property and starting Iranian businesses and the message gets back to the United States. What, do you, what kind of a message do they think that, that you would get from this? I think you'd get an official looking letter that would say this. Something along this line. You must choose who you intend to serve. But you cannot, uh, you cannot um, be an ambassador of the United States and a citizen of Iran. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will cleave to the one and despise the other. You cannot be a citizen of the United States and of Iran. That's very declarative of Jesus. You can't do it. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Okay, now... So, uh, one of the things that, that people are doing, and it's actually happened for a... Pete, how much time do I have left? Okay. It's been going on for a long time. And, and the, the Mennonite Weekly Review, what they said was this, in essence, we believe in dual citizenship. That's what they said. They said, we, we decided that it's not an unbridgeable chasm. They are actually together. Now, that's been going on for a long time. Back in Joshua 9... Very, very interesting uh, account here. Um, Joshua 9, just uh, the heat was on. And, and, and uh, you know, citizenship is something you can embrace and enjoy until the heat is on. Then, you, then is when things get a little sticky. Now, what was happening in this chapter was the Israelites were coming into the land, and, and they come over, it says in verse 9, uh, in the Chapter 9, verse 1, it came to pass when all the kings which were on the other side, this side of Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coast of the great sea the, against Lebanon, the Hittites. What, what happened? Well, they heard thereof. They heard that Israel was cleaning up the inhabitants of the land. And so then it says, and when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho, tore down the walls, and to Ai they did work wilily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and they took old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles, old and rent, and bound up, and old shoes, and clouded upon their feet, and they went to talk with these people. Now, what I want out of this, it's, it, it's, uh, there, there's a couple different ways you could look at this and get different illustrations out of it. 
But what I want to look at it from the perspective of how it worked out for these men to become dual citizens. So what they did is they came to the God's people and they said, we want to be fellow citizens with you. Now, what they weren't planning on doing was cutting off their old citizenship. They thought things could go well with them if they had a dual citizenship. Well, and so they, they did that and uh, they deceived the people. But what happened was this. When it was all said and done, this is what they were made. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord even unto this day in the place which is choose. This is what happened. They believed they could get dual citizenship, but they brought themselves under bondage. Bondage forever is what they became. They had no further freedom. And that's what dual citizenship does when we try to merge the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. We are brought into bondage. That's the, that's the result of that. Um, okay, so the Gideonites, they were in a very, very painful situation. And uh, they're... Um, the result of it was uh, perpetual bondage instead of freedom. You know what they could have done? This is what they should have done. They should have renounced all former allegiance to their citizenship and become fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. That's what they should have done. And that option was available to them back then. They could have become fellow citizens. And uh, by a few generations, they would have been uh, a part of the people of God. Well, all around us... Christians are attempting to do the same thing, believing in dual citizenship. Um, but the kingdoms are polar opposites. Now I want to talk just a little bit about what happens, because where we live in the, in the Boise uh, area, it is, a, it is an intensely Christian area, mostly Baptists. And these folks are, are on fire. I'll probably talk about them more later in the week. But they believe that they are under obligation to make this a Christian nation. That is the first thing that you will see happen when you try to merge those two kingdoms is you will start believing in the Christianization of the kingdom of the world. And what that leads to is holy war. That's where it will go. You will very quickly justify, justify the extermination of, of the other side. These churches are sending Bible-packing missionaries and gun-packing soldiers sometimes into the very same countries. That is the absolute ridiculousness of trying to believe in dual citizenship. One man you're converting and another you're killing. Okay, so Christianization of the, uh, the, uh, Christianization of the nation and holy war. Another thing that happens very quickly is they begin believing in social means by whatever means necessary as long as it's under the name of Jesus. Social change. Um, before long, the dual citizen begins to forget the country of their birth and begins to drift into a position in the new country that is without pain. Uh, Jesus is hated of all nations. And a dual citizenship takes a person on a journey to a position of no pain. That might come up in a question we have later on. They begin looking like the citizens around them. They no longer bear the characteristics of the nation they were sent to represent. The true Christian, this is the truth, is always in the minority. Public opinion will always be against him. And if he's bearing truth, he's never going to be comfortable until he gets home. Back home. Now, um, 
Now, what can happen is uh, this. Look at Colossians 4.14, because we're under intense pressure to embrace dual citizenship or, or worse. Uh, second, uh, or Colossians 4.14, um, a very obscure verse, um, but let's just, uh, let's just read what it says here. Luke, the beloved physician that we've been learning from today, and Demas greet you. Let's just let it that. And Demas greet you. Now, turn with me to 2 Timothy 4.10. 2 Timothy 4.10. Is it a reality? Is this is it, is it possible that, um, that people can truly do this? 4.10 says this. Well, 9. Paul says, hurry up. Get on over here. Be with me. Support me. Why? For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Come on over, because this man that I sent out greetings from hath departed from me, having loved this present world. I don't know if Demas believed in dual citizenship or not, but uh, Jesus clearly says that if we're the friend of the world, we're the enemy of God. They cannot both be the same. We, we cannot have both. And that is a challenging situation we're in. And Demas apparently, apparently caved to that. <clears throat> now, there's a couple more things we need to talk about. The other challenging part of this is that we are called to live in this nation. And so we cannot prop our nose up and walk about saying, I don't have to listen to the laws of this land. Because you're not my king, and I've got citizenship somewhere else. Um, we're not permitted to do that. Jesus makes it very, very clear that when we resist the powers that be, we're actually resisting him. And so it's going to get very complex here, but, but um, uh, this is what can happen. I was going to read Romans 13, but we're, we're running out of time quickly. Um, and, uh, but but there, we're called to ferret out that challenging position between respecting the authorities of this land and all the while respecting God. One time after Peter was arrested, I believe, and, and uh, they got out and, and this was what they heard. The angel that we heard about earlier said this, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. That was what they got. So they end up there. They're in the temple preaching all the words of this life. And then these other folks come in and they said, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? So they were caught. They were in violation of the laws, the authorities. But yet they had heard a direct command from God to go and preach those words. So it's really sticky. You know, Myrtle and Judy, I guess, are in Thailand now. And uh, I was speaking a little bit about that. And, you know, they've got like three different authorities they're under right now. You think about that? So technically they're U.S. citizens. They probably would fail the test too and get deported like I would. Um, but yet they are U.S. citizens. They are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And they're also living in Thailand. Now just imagine what would happen if suppose um, before they left, somebody from the NRA came over. He happened to be a neighbor of Merle. He said, yeah, these are some things we're doing in Thailand. It's kind of classified. Just keep it yourself. He goes over there. They discover that Merle has some information on Thailand. And they say, you need to tell us that. Now think about how complex this could be. Okay, so first of all, he's responsible to God. That's number one. 
But the U.S. also holds his citizenship, and if he tells that, he's going to be considered a traitor to the U.S. Um, well, he's in a tough position. Um, and that's kind of probably in, in, uh, you know, just crazy to even think of that, but, but it did come to my mind. Um, so uh, he, would have to, he would have to sort through that. Uh, probably, what is God's will for the Thai people? What is my position with the United States? And where am I at with God? And, and out of that would come the answer. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's fascinating, though, because when, just because the president says, you need to go to war, that doesn't suddenly trump the fact that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Um, how does a Christian live just like the people all around him, follow the same fashion, follow the same passions that people have? How does he do that? Well, he does that by forgetting, first of all, that he's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. How does a, how does a, a, uh, a Christian pledge allegiance to an earthly flag? Um, many, many churches that I go into, they have a flag up front. And they're pledging allegiance to that. How do you pledge allegiance to an earthly flag? Well, by forgetting where your citizenship truly is. It's in heaven. Um, you know, the, the Christian citizen, therefore, is, is obliged to obey though the laws of this land as as best as he can. In every way, we need to pay our taxes. Now, now, now um, I, I had to make a confession a while back, and some of the Northwest brethren know that I have a problem with speeding already. So, but this is what happened. I, I got this lesson driven home very, very clearly to me here recently. So I was driving home from work in 64 and a 55, and the lights came on, and, and so I pulled my pickup over, and this very nice lady got out, and she says, you know, we're promoting awareness of the law, and you are in violation of it, and uh, so I need to see your documents just to make sure you're not an axe murderer. And uh, uh, anyhow, she went and checked me out, and she came back, and this is what she had to say. She says, you know, we're not going to give you a ticket today, we just want you to respect the law and, and drive a little slower. And, and, and then she said these words. And you know what? It has changed how I drive ever since. She said this, By the way, those snowmen in your front yard are really neat. I sat there, I got to thinking to myself, oh, she knows where I live. She might even be my neighbor. She's obviously been driving up and down our road. We had the whole family out front. Snowman family, even down to the babies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it started just piercing my heart. Here I am. I'm trying to, to, to represent the High King, and she knows that I just broke the law. Well, it's much more than that. God knew I broke the law, too. And He said, if you're not under every ordinance of man, there's no, God doesn't have any law against obeying the speed limit. He doesn't have a law against paying your taxes. He doesn't have any laws against being nice to your fellow citizens and obeying the ordinances of your local township. He doesn't have any laws against that. So we're called to obey them. Well, anyway, let's, uh, let's uh, save a little bit of time uh, for some questions. Um, uh, unfortunately, the printer uh, folks were, were out, so my handout didn't uh, get printed. So I'm just going to have to read them to you. But let's talk a little bit about citizenship now. We've got just a few minutes left. 
First of all, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, are you fully embracing the constitution of Jesus or a modified version of your own? You know, in Idaho, where uh, we live, people are, they have this really weird relationship with the government. They, um, they like it, but yet they're really a law themselves. If they would ever come in, fact is they're just trying now to, to pass a law that says every single individual of the state of Idaho is part of, a, of, of the militia, whether they want to be or not. And they're not worried about Canada, Canadians coming down. They're worried about some folks from over there in D.C. coming out. That's what they're worried about. And that's what they'd like to use the militia on. Um, and so they're, what they're doing is although they're living in the, in the nation as citizens, they're kind of rewriting the Constitution in their own terms. It's easy for us to do that too. Uh, the Constitution of Jesus stands firm. Uh, his laws don't change. Um, maybe that was more of a statement. If your investments determine your citizenship, will heaven claim you? And you know, I thought about that, and, and we have to live in this world, and we buy land, and we start businesses, and all these things. But what are your investments? The Bible clearly says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where they need to be. And, and it would be a, a, a sad thing to arrive there and discover that your chest was empty. There's just, you didn't see anything on ahead of time. Uh, if your investments determine your citizenship, well, heaven claim you. There's another one. Have you ever attempted this thing of dual citizenship, and, and in what ways have you struggled in this foreign land? So let's talk about that. Have you ever attempted dual citizenship? Have you ever struggled in this foreign land? And if you've attempted dual citizenship, would you tell us how? Yeah. Well, um, most of my growing up and stuff raised more Baptists. Um, and like you said, they'll have the flags and the, they teach voting and things. And um, so I really, I actually thought that way for probably the rest of my life, most recently. Um, I never believed in the war, but um, thought it was um, Christian's duty to vote to um, try to make our voice heard, I guess. But um, so I guess in some ways, um, a little bit thinking of these dual citizenships a little bit. I love Baptists, by the way. <laughs> I don't think they should all be German Baptists. They need to be Kingdom Baptists. What they need. <laughs> so don't misunderstand me. Other thoughts? What do the strangers of the foreign land that you live in know about your king by observing your life? What do the strangers of the foreign land that you live in Know about your king by observing your life. We kind of talked about that yesterday, that lordship should be stamped on every part of a person's life. And we're being read, known and read of all men. And uh, so that's, maybe we're running out of time, so I'll just keep going. Let me just ask this, why do you suppose that heaven's ambassadors in the United States are so loved and tolerated when over 50% of the nation supports homosexuality, are divorced, and millions of babies are being slaughtered every year. I could also add, when Jesus also said, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. 
Well, I got this WWJTBD, and uh, I just put that down for what would John the Baptist do? <laughs> you know, we like to say, well, it's just a very special time. You know, there's never been a time quite like this in history. Wonderful freedoms. <laughs> if John the Baptist stood up and said, I believe homosexuality is wrong, there would be enough fervor in this country to run him down to the tip. What was the original so, why do you suppose that heaven's ambassadors in the United States, we'll try to get copies of this maybe, are so loved and tolerated when over 50% of the nation supports homosexuality or divorced and millions of babies are being slaughtered every year? And then the other thing was, has prosperity brought silence? That's the other question I want you to just meditate on. Has prosperity brought silence? Do we have so many investments here that it would be risky to open our mouths? I struggle with that in the, home, in, in, in the little town that I work in as a PA. I thought of, you know, <coughs> going down that street and passing out tracks or preaching, you know, maybe in that park. But I pull back from it a little bit. Oh, I mean, I take care of these people health-wise, you know. I wonder what would happen if they thought I was a queer down there, you know, preaching. It's something to think about. Um, I would just assume go into Boise, back street somewhere where they don't know me. I'm glad we're going down here to Ellensburg to evangelize you. I think that's good. Um, the Bible clearly teaches that false prophets are a reality. See Peter, 2 Peter 2. As an ambassador, be wise and harmless. Stay close in contact with the homeland. Listen closely for your orders from your king. As you work in this foreign land, remember that everything around you is about to become as worthless as the dirt you stand on. You are not at home. Do not get too comfortable here. Someday your ambassadorship will be over. Ah, then you get to see the rightful king. Don't look for earthly accolades. Earth's glory is fickle. You are not being withheld from any good thing. One look from your king will make it worth it all. I would like to sing a song. Um, someone else can lead it. But uh, Why don't we close this session with 938. And I noticed the title, it says, Warning Men of Judgment. And that's not so much my thought. Uh, the other thought is that I am thinking of is if I gain the world. The question about if I if I gain the world but lost the Savior, were my life worth living for a day? Could my yearning heart find rest and comfort in the things that soon must pass away? If I gain the world but lost the Savior, would my gain be worth the lifelong strife? Are all earthly pleasures worth comparing for a moment with a Christ-filled life? I won't read it all. Let's sing it. Thank you, brother, for the message. Something to consider. <coughs> when Jesus took away your sword, what did he put back in your hand? A sword. And when he took away your fight, right here, what did he give you instead? Another fight. 
Bible in Ephesians, specific chapter, chapter 6. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That's another passage. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, Ephesians says, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're getting ready to do more business with God now. Do you have your sword? Are you ready to stand against the wiles of the devil? God is able. God is able to deliver. And I have been touched by the message today. I've studied it quite a while myself by somewhat of divine appointment from several circumstances that I've had with various individuals. And I've included God's name, one of them, is the Lord of hosts. You know what that means? He's the Lord of heaven's armies. Does he fight? He sure does. There's a lot to sort out with war and kingdoms and allegiance. But when the captain of the host says, put up that sword and pick up pick up this sword, then we have one obligation, and that's to obey. And if you put down the physical sword, there are implications to that. It's the soul harvest. It does not make sense for God's people to refuse evangelism when they put down the sword of the nations. Either it's 